Hello and welcome back to another episode of On Spec. I am your host, Ryan Barat. Got a really fun show for you today uh, because I'm answering your questions, the listeners. Uh, and the way I take these questions is via Instagram, doing Instagram questions on my Instagram page, which is rdsbrath on Instagram. Same handle as well on Twitter. And I also have the show's specific page as well on specwrx on Instagram too. And we're going to use that format today to answer your questions. And I'm going to answer the questions that came in recently while doing one of those Instagram story question and answer things. And it's, yeah, it's basically an ask me anything format. Got all kinds of questions about fitting and building. And I'll go through and I'll expand a lot more than I really can expand in that format. But before we get to that, I also want to let you know that I do have an interview with Bill Schmieds. He is a PGA professional as well as the inventor of the Impact Press, which is a training aid that I think is really cool because you can hit golf balls with it and it does things that not just relate to being able to hit shots, but it also means working with your body and some biomechanics and some other stuff like that, which I think is really neat. And I think it's beneficial for people because I get the question all the time, should I go get a fitting? Should I get lessons? And to be honest, I really think you should do both. Uh, I think that's important. And he does lessons. He's a teaching professional. And he came up with this based on the fact that he find, found a lot of players struggle with this certain issue in their swing. And that's where the impact, impact press came from. There we go. Uh, but first, I have to ask you, are you a diehard sports fan who wants to show your passion for your team on the golf course? Golf Pride's MMC teams will have you doing just that. These new Golf Pride grips are available in 15 different colorways to match your favorite team so that you can rep your team's colors on every swing. MMC is the number one grip series worldwide with hybrid technology that gives you cord in the upper hand for moisture control and all rubber lower hand for ultimate feel. Bring your passion to the course this season with MMC teams from Golf Pride. Visit golfpride.com to shop all 15 colors today. Actually, uh, I got a... Uh, a couple of these in to test. I hadn't used the MMC in a long time because I've always been like a full cord guy. Uh, and I really like them. Uh, you know, uh, there's, for me, a couple of my teams are well represented there as far as colors go. Um, uh, one being the Toronto Maple Leafs, who unfortunately did not make the uh, kind of the playoffs as far as the NHL goes. Um, but, you know, there's there's other things we can think about, right? They can go golfing now, right? I mean, they have, I mean they've probably played golf before all this happened. But uh, anyways... We don't need to talk about depressing playoff hockey. Let's get into the questions that came in today because they, again, they were a lot of fun. And uh, it always kind of surprises me, the questions that I get, because, you know, it, especially when it comes to club fitting and club building, sometimes they, people ask, like, is it boring to have them be repetitive or anything like that? But in all honesty, it's not because you're teaching something new to somebody every time. And although it's not new to me, it is new to them, and that's why I want to make sure that I answer all those questions. It's uh, it's similar to a philosophy that, uh, I know it's not exactly the same thing, but it's like the Disney experience, right? They treat every guest like it's the, the first time they've seen that guest today, whether it be the 15th person they've seen or the hundred and, well, let's call it thousandth of person they've seen, whatever, right? And so with that in mind, you know, my goal is every golfer, every person that comes in is treated like it's the first time I've ever, like not the first time I've done it, but the first time they're getting to understand it. And I think it's important to have that, especially if you're a club fitter or a club builder, because, you know, a lot of people who haven't done club fitting before, they'll say like, oh, I did it, but, you know, I'd really enjoy the experience. Well, no, no one should ever be able to say that because it's your job as a club fitter or it's not my, my job or you if you are a club fitter to give that person your full and undivided attention because they are there. They are paying you to look, get better at golf, which is their passion, which hopefully is your passion too, among other things. And so with that in mind, let's get to our first one. Uh, what would be my classic set of irons that I would love to own? I've owned a lot of them, but the ones that I really love are the old McGregor V foils. Uh, they were the, they were the 1025 M. So they had a, they, there was an M, there was a full CB and then there was a mix set. Uh, I was, I always loved the M's. There was something about that set of irons, um, they just, they were so cool. And if you can find them new now, like they, it's hard to find them actually brand new, but if you can find a set that's in great shape, uh, I highly suggest picking them up because they are sick. And what's also really cool about them is 
They had the little diamonds on the other sides of the score lines, which is like a super classic look, and that would have been early 2000s when McGregor was still kind of making a lot of that stuff. And uh, yeah, they are just a very awesome set of clubs. Oh, this was a good one because this was a club building one. And uh, I did cover this in a, um, a really early video of mine on my YouTube channel, which you can find. You just type in my name, Ryan Brath, at YouTube. It'll come up. Uh, and you can kind of go through all the old back channel stuff, like a lot of videos there. And again, if you ever, ever have questions, a lot of times I've done videos. And if you have a question that I haven't done a video on, I'm happy to do it. Um, and it's about the tiny bit of epoxy that gets between the top of the hosel and the ferrule, even after it's glued. And you can wipe and wipe and wipe, or uh, you can use a little bit of acetone, which is what I try and do before I set them against the wall to glue or into a club rack. Um, but what you should do if there is a little bit there or it's ghosted, which means like there's a little bit of film left on it, is if acetone doesn't take it off with like a quick wipe, you don't want it to sit there too long or at all really, um, then you use a very sharp knife, like a straight blade. And you should be able to scrape it off almost any finish without causing an issue if you have a very sharp blade and you just take your time. And that's all it takes. That's all it is. It just takes a little bit. You just spin it around. Uh, do it before if you can, before you fully finish the ferrule. And then you just wipe with that stone. It's like it was never there. Ooh. Uh, gapping first. This was a good one. Actually, this was a, I really, really like this question. Is uh, where do I start with my distance gapping? Top end of my bag or bottom end of my bag? If you had to choose one, it's going to be wedges. Because there's a reason they call them scoring clubs because you're supposed to score with them. And if you're struggling with your wedges as far as distance control goes and uh, knowing your distances, I think that's really important. It's one of the things that's actually frustrated me this year a lot. It's what led me to purchasing a launch monitor and really getting into trying to dial in my distances, which I haven't uh, really spent a lot of time doing, unfortunately. Um, and the other part is too, because of like where I play, there's no range. I like to practice with premium golf balls. So when you go to the range and you're using like crappy range balls, you don't really get the distances correct, which sucks. Um, you can get like swing dynamics and that's great, but you don't really get the full distance carry because you'll hit one with no spin or no dimples and it will and you'll hit one that's like a really soft ball and it'll go really short. And anyway, so um, yeah, if you have to pick one, start with the lower end of your bag with your wedges and then go into your higher end of your, uh, your set. But in reality, you should do both. Oh yeah, this was, um, well, I guess this, you know, I'll lay, I'll lay this out to the audience here, right? Um, beyond videos, would you ever want to do a, like a online club building class? Oh, well, I'm asking. Someone asked, uh, I've been asked multiple times, uh, to do like classes or have people, uh, come by my shop, which obviously doesn't work in the world's present time. Um, uh, but it's something that I had considered for a long time. And I think online might be the way to go. If someone has a shop or it's like a simple set of tools, I think there's a lot of things people can learn. And, uh, that's all the question was really. So, oh yeah. And some, okay. The other thing too, some people really like some of the stuff they post and they were asking about it. Uh, one set that I just posted recently, which is going through the build process rather shortly is a set of the TP MB blades. Uh, the rack ones with the, the higher muscle on them. There was the original, there was the rack ones and there was the other TP ones with the big TP uh, stamp right in the back with the mill pockets that were a lot deeper. I had a set of those in the smoke. They were sick. They were so good. I wish I didn't sell them. They had rifle six O's in them. They were just perfect. They had uh, like black, were they black and, uh, just black and red, like the original MMC grips on them. Everything, everything about them was great and I really wish I didn't sell those golf clubs because now that I'm building these, uh, I really wish I still had them. Uh, next question. Uh, benefits to hard stepping versus soft stepping. This is one that I get a lot. Uh, now, what it means is to soft step means you take a four iron shaft and put it into the five iron because of the head weight. It's designed for that head weight and that designated length. Uh, and then obviously five iron into four iron is hard stepping. What you're doing when you do that is you fine tune the flex of the golf club. Uh, it takes like three, depending on the shaft, because if, if there's a, like a descending or an ascending weight in the shaft, then you're going to have some like changes as well. But what you're really doing is fine tuning feel and fine tuning flex, because it's a roughly, if it's a standard weight set of uh, steel shafts or graphite shafts, it's about one third of a flex roughly. That's a, don't quote me on that. I mean, you can, because I just said it, but uh, it's, it's a, it's a one third flex roughly between each other. And it's, it's more of a feel thing if you're really trying to dial in 
uh, launch. But for the player, a lot of times, you know, a little bit of soft stepping can, can really improve the feel of a golf club and you can still get the same performance out of a golf shaft, which is really important because uh, it, it can allow you to fine tune that weight as well, depending again, up or down and gain the performance to help that player dial in their specs as best as possible, which is always the goal, really. Um, now, here's one very specific, but I think it's important to mention it, and that is um, swing speed for, like, a specific golf shaft. Now, this is relation to, like, a Modus 105, which is a Nippon product, but it's not about that. I think that's important to address here, and I try and, bring, I try and answer this every time, and that is the fact that it's not about the speed at which someone swings. It's about how they load it. Because if you think about it this way, right, uh, a drag racing car, or like any car, can get to 100 miles an hour. Let's say it's for, let's say it's a supercar. So a supercar can get to 100 miles an hour in like say five seconds, right? A train on a straight track, uh, or like say a bullet train, or whatever it happens to be, can do 100 miles, get to 100 miles an hour. Do actually go a lot faster, just like the supercar. But the way they get there is going to be a little bit different. Right, and so the supercar will get there in five seconds, the train will get there in 15 or 20, right? But they both eventually get to the same speed, so the transition is where the load happens. And depending on that load that the player creates, then certain shaft profiles are going to work different for different players, right? So you could have someone who swings it a little bit slower but has a very quick tempo, a stiffer shaft would work. You could have someone who swings very fast but they have a very smooth tempo. It's like Ernie Els versus uh, Nick Price, that's my go to. Most people are familiar with those two players, although Nick Price, not so much anymore. But you get the idea, right? And that's what I'm saying. It's all about the transition speed and not just the full-out swing speed because that's just one factor in there. Uh, I am going to skip over some because they are very specific fitting questions and you don't need to hear those. Um, let's see here. Will tipping an inch, a uh, regular flex shaft an inch, turn it into a stiff? No. When you tip a golf shaft, what you're doing is you're changing the tip profile of the golf shaft. You're not changing the entire thing. Maybe you're going to potentially reduce torque. Maybe you're going, and you are, you're going, you're going to stiffen up the golf shaft a little bit, but you're not going to change the full flex because you have the rest of the golf shaft has remained completely unchanged. And with that in mind, you are. It's just kind of like soft stepping and hard stepping. You're going to fine tune the flex, but you're not creating an entirely new flex because if you had to tip a golf shaft that much, you're going to ruin it, especially when we're talking graph right here. Oh, this was an interesting one. Thoughts on KZG irons? Um, uh, I don't have any thoughts on them, to be honest. Uh, I, I I remember like back in the day, they had like a zero offset blade and they had a bunch of different blade irons, some cool. They had like a combo set, I think it was the Evolution or Evolution 2. That was the last time I've been familiar with their product line. Uh, I just haven't worked with it at all. I haven't seen it anywhere in a long time. Uh, I think they're still around. I think they sell to consumers. Um, but as far as direct-to-consumer stuff, there's a lot of other stuff out there now that I think it might be will say a better value because again I'm not sure of the exact price but you have stuff like New Level or Sub 70 and things like that that I th or Ben Hogan another one uh, that all do great stuff uh, at great prices and they offer a lot of custom fitting so again as far as KZG goes I, I wish I could offer more information but I just haven't seen any of that stuff in a long time um oh and this so this relates to like any tool uh I know I'm rapid firing through these because there's like a there's a lot of questions uh I'm gonna hopefully try and get to all of them um is it good to buy a like used really high-end tool or is it better to just buy like a more of an entry-level tool depending on your budget? The quick answer to that is always buy the nicest tool you can possibly afford based on your budget. I have a, a like a, a swing weight scale. I, just, I mean, I got a newer one a couple of years ago, but I've used the same one for a long time. What the new one does, they measure exactly the same, is a lot faster. It's also a little bit more accurate but it works way, way faster, which means I can work a lot quicker. I'm not dinking around with the scale. I put the thing on, it gives me the number, it gives me the reading. That's what you pay for with the swing weight scale, for example. But as far as a lie loft machine, as long as you treat it nicely and you know that it's accurate or you have it calibrated properly or you have a calibration club that you can continuously check on it, then um, if you're doing like high, like a, a lot of volume, Get the most expensive one you possibly can. The Mitchell is like the go-to one. I think they're like a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. Golf Mechanics makes a bunch of different ones. Mine was about five hundred fifty dollars. It is a Golf Mechanics one. I I don't think they make it anymore. Uh, it works for right and left-handed, and uh, it's very accurate. I treat it well. I've had it for fifteen years, oh, more than fifteen years now. Uh, wow, actually, I've had it for almost twenty. Gosh, I'm getting old. 
uh, now that I think about it. Um, but yeah, I've had it for a long time and because I treat it right and I make sure that I, I'm always replacing anything that's worn out on it, it's been really good to me. So uh, it just depends on the volume you're doing. Uh, but for a hobbyist, you can get a mid-range one and it'll last a, it'll last a lifetime if you treat it, one, pre treat it nicely, I think. Um, ooh, forgiveness of the TaylorMade MC, the new one, versus something like an AP2 or T100. I haven't seen the new MC stuff. Actually, I was going to go off on a little bit of a tangent of that. What a week that was, eh? New Mizuno. We got some Cleveland Potters. We got TaylorMade Irons. We got the TaylorMade uh, Tiger Woods wedges. Holy smokes. What a release week that was. So we got that stuff coming out in the fall. I know there's been a lot of speculation on Golf WX, which is this is part of the Golf WX Radio Network, talking about what's coming out, what product cycles are going to be like. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a really um, – they're both very, very interesting. Uh, they're all, all – all of it's great stuff. I think the 770 from Taylor is going to be like their huge winner because you have to realize that for the most players, that's going to be the one that they're really going to target. And then as well with the uh, Mizuno, the Forged. Uh, it's smaller and faster. That's what everyone wants. Everyone wants a smaller iron that offers the same forgiveness, and that's what they've kind of done with that club, and I think they've nailed it. Looks are great from everything that I've seen. Again, haven't seen any of this stuff in hand yet. Um, but the question is regarding to, like, the TaylorMade and, like, something like a uh, T100. Uh, again, I haven't hit them side by side, but anything with multi-material is generally going to offer a higher MOI in the same size, and the T100, which I have hit, um, super forgiving for its size, like, unbelievably forgiving. Is it a game improvement golf club? No. But when you miss it heel toe, it gives you a lot of forgiveness in the size of that golf club. And it's one that if uh, you're looking at, it's a good one to check out. Um, yeah. Oh, this is a good one. How do you break down the complexity of choosing the right shaft? So as a fitter, it kind of, and this is the thing, like people have tried to like put this into a computer for a long time. And it's very difficult to try and compartmentalize all of these things that you're trying to see as well as all, all the shaft options. But what it comes down to is the fact that a player's swing is like a finger uh, fingerprint. But, you know, they can be similar, right? You have certain speeds and certain profiles and, and certain ways that they accelerate and all kinds of stuff, right? So with that in mind, you have things like the shaft weight, the player's tempo, which will relate to weight and making sure that they kind of sync up. Then you have the shaft profile itself as far as the flex and the bend profile as a whole. Right, because if you need some, if you have someone with quick tempo again, maybe something that's very stable in the hand. If you have someone with a smoother tempo, you can go smoother in the hands, but offer stability in a different part of the golf shaft. Then you have the overall flex and how that person loads loads the golf shaft, which is what I talked about as well, and then uh, their impact dynamics. And there's a couple other things in there, but those are the big ones. So those all kind of go into a fitter's mind. They see what's going on. They look at their launch monitor, and boom. They go to the wall, they pick some shafts out, and that's how they go through that process. Um, if a hybrid's upright, is there anything I can do? It's very difficult to bend hybrids. Uh, a lot of them can't be bent. Most of them can't, unless you're ordering them from the factory. I know Ping used to do it, although their hybrids now are adjustable. Uh, there might be one more. I think Mizuno, actually, Mizuno does it too. I think they they had it in their the Fly High. They've done it last year and they did it this year as well. You can adjust the line angle on them. Uh, for fitting uh, but beyond that I don't think there are other than the adjustable ones obviously so if you are getting one there's a, one option would be to like slightly cut it down because when a club plays effectively shorter it also plays a, it plays shorter it plays effectively flatter so that's a good way to think about that um, what else do we got here oh what do you do when your game sucks that's a nice it's a, it's a long question but that's basically the question and uh, what I do is I go to the range and I torture myself which I've done actually this week. I brought an old one iron out. Uh, I also brought a persimmon wood out. Uh, I have a bunch. I, I mean, I have a bunch of them. But uh, I brought a driver with me. It's 43 inches long. It's got an X100 shaft in it. It's a wooden club head. It's an old Wilson laminate, and I really like it. Actually, it's fun to hit. Uh, I had the launch monitor out too, which I thought was very interesting. So, but I won't get too deep uh, wormhole into the numbers of that. So I hit that because it's, you know it's harder to hit. You got to square it up. It's easier to work it both ways just because of the size of the driver. Um, so I was trying to work on hitting a very specific shot over and over again. And the one iron was more for punishment. So I, I only hit it a few times uh, and just try and not like screw it up completely. But the other thing is too, the, and this is like a detriment when trying to hit that thing, is the fact that if you're trying to like scoop it and get it up in the air, you can actually create more issues with your golf swing. So I know that I'm not going to carry it that far, but I just try and make sure that I can hit it in the center of the club face and I'm not really super concerned about where it goes as long as it goes relatively straight. 
Uh, and then I also watched tons of swings of Jeff Ogilvie. Uh, I know that sounds like kind of weird, but uh, Jeff Ogilvie to me has always had like this this beautiful tempo. And everyone talks Ernie or VJ or Freddie or Louis Eustazen. Oh, just go watch Louis swing. Oh, it's so freaking good. I love watching his swing too. Uh, he makes golf look super easy, by the way. When he's on, you could just putt. But nonetheless, uh, Jeff Ogilvie is always like my go-to, uh, especially to when you think, was it the match play? And then obviously his U.S. Open. Just watching the tempo of his golf swing is, uh, if you if you can't hit a golf ball better after watching Jeff Ogilvie hit a golf ball, uh, you need to find another swing that maybe matches your type a little better. And uh, I think it's, it's a good thing to do, uh, to try it out. Um, any difference between the hazardous 6.0 and the 6.5? Uh, yeah, it's heavier and it gets a lot stiffer. Um, when you get into the heavier stuff from uh, uh, Project X, it definitely gets uh, noticeably stiffer. Uh, low spin iron shaft, there's a lot. Uh, you can go to any manufacturer website, you're going to see a bunch of different options. Uh, I know from testing, at least from what I've seen, although I, a lot of companies are going to give you the best information they possibly can um, in relationship to a product, but uh, the new LS Project X is designed to be the absolute lowest spinning shaft they have ever made. And that's coming from the same people that have done Project X 7.0 and like just silly, silly stiff stuff or X 700. So uh, when they say it, they mean it. Uh, at least, at least I've, I've worked them for a long time. Uh, I think they make great stuff. Uh, so, I mean, they've shown a huge amount of spin reduction with that golf shaft. So that would be probably the way to go. Um, oh yeah, I made pizza. So if you, I mean, if you're still listening to this. <laughs> At this point, uh, there were some pizza pictures posted on my Instagram. That was what I was talking about there. Um, comparable profile to the Dynamic Gold XP 105. High launch, higher spin, just Dynamic Gold 105. Uh, there are other higher launching options, and it depends on the shaft weight you're looking at, but that would be a great one. You've also got uh, Sweet Taper Lite, PXI, if you can find them. I know they don't have that anymore. They have the IO, which would be, I think, somewhat similar. Uh, some would say that it is... Uh, depending on the shaft, it's designed a little bit similar to, because of the flighted characteristics of that golf shaft. But uh, there's a lot of different options. And what it always comes down to is get fit. Ooh, uh, TrackMan versus GC Quad. Again, this is an opinion thing. TrackMan and GC Quad are both fantastic. They both do a great job. So does FlightScope. I have a FlightScope. I realize that it's like, you know, not the super expensive one or like the one that most people talk about. But I think it's a really good option as well. Does everything that I, like all this info that all the information that I get from it is uh, extremely accurate. But back to the question, they are both good. GC Quad TrackMan. I will say the huge benefit of the GC Quad is you can take it anywhere. Uh, you basically don't need any ball flight at all. Uh, you could hit into a, a wall ten feet in front of your face, and it, it'll give you all the information that you want out of that thing, out of that machine, because of what it does. TrackMan can't do that. So if you're using inside. With limited, very limited flight, GC Quad is going to be the best by far. If you're outside, they both work great. They both do something very similar. Uh, they just do it differently. So uh, that's kind of the big comparison there. Uh, do I like new level irons? Yeah. I think I, I talked about them earlier. I posted some sets that I've had before. I think they make great stuff. Uh, Eric does a good job. I think they have some new stuff coming out too, which is actually really cool. They did a pre-order on their uh, newest uh, driving iron, which I think just uh, launched, the pre-order uh, dropped. On that, and then um, yeah, I think they make great stuff. Uh, kind of something for everybody, really. Other than I know they're a smaller company, left-handed stuff with a lot of these companies is not going to be uh, hugely prevalent. Uh, but if you're a righty, which I think is most golfers, unless you're Canadian, which I realize is like 30%, then New Level offers a ton of great options. Uh, oh yeah, I got new pizza tiles. Yeah, I got more pizza content. I'm literally going. To, I'm I'm literally going through and answering all of these questions because. Uh, I want to be able to expand on these things. It's very difficult to, to um, get a point across when you're just trying to type something out as quickly as possible and answer questions, uh, especially and I can do some visual stuff or reference to YouTube or those kind of things, but uh, this is always the best way to go that I've found. Um, science versus feel in a fitting. A good fitter, and I actually wrote about this on golfdirects.com this week, is what makes a good fitter versus a not-so-good fitter. And... There was a number of things that I wrote about, but to me, the number one thing is communication because you have to be able to communicate to that person as the fitter, as the golf, I'm talking to you, the golfer, what's going on and what you're feeling. And if you haven't done a lot of like fittings before or hit a lot of shots before, then what ends up happening, or like, you know, you've never been in a fitting basically. 
it's hard to express what you're feeling sometimes. And the fitter should be able to ask the right questions. And if you don't really understand, then should be able to ask it in a different way. That to me is the sign of an absolute great fitter is their ability to communicate, ask questions, and then also, you know, drive the conversation towards helping you answer those questions because that's also very important. Um, so there is a science involved, but there's also some feel because you have to be able to understand what's going on in your swing and, and relating that to what's going on with the numbers that it's receiving and how it's actually performing. So that's also very important. Uh, yes, the, is, um, is Mizuno SC200 a good driver? Yes, it is. Um, two different shafts in your irons. Yeah, you can do it if you're going to do a combo set. Uh, you've seen it with like um, like driving irons. People switch them up all the time. To see them switch like shaft to shaft to shaft is uh, not very common because shafts are designed to be inherently flighted by their characteristics going into a forearm versus a pitching wedge. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those things that I think is always very interesting. Am I ever fed up with OEM innovation? No. And this is important because I get this question all the time, like, do you think it's really better? You know, is, do you find the performance is actually better? And sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. But that's okay, because I'm one golfer. And if they release a line that doesn't really work for me, say it's like a, you know, a big game improvement iron or something like that, that's not for me. But someone else is going to love that thing, and it's better than the last one, so why would why is that a bad thing, Right. Um, and it, I know, I know it relates to a lot of different products in our lives, uh, you know, phones and computers and whatever cars, cars is my go-to analogy for a lot of different things, but there is improvement. And just because you're not buying a new one this year and you bought one last year, doesn't mean the one that you bought last year sucks. I mean, I drive a nine-year-old car. It doesn't suck. It's actually, a, it's a, it's a nice car. It's just older, but it still works. It works. It does everything it's supposed to do. And that's kind of the same thing when it comes to golf gear. If it does what it's supposed to do. Heck, you got Brooks Kepka last two weeks ago, I guess, the PGA Championship. Went back to an old driver. Obviously, it didn't work out completely well, but he stuck with these things because he knows, like, you know what? I can get what I want out of this thing, and that's okay to, you know, use something that's a little bit older because I know what it's going to do, and I can still shoot great scores. And we see that a lot in the PGA Tour with older gear in people's bags, and you see it every day at the Muni. So it's not a bad thing, but some people like new stuff, and... Uh, all credit to the OEMs for coming up with it, as well as, you know, creating innovation to help people play better golf. Shortening your three wood. Great option. You have to think, most standard three woods used to be 42, maybe 41 and a half. Um, they were heavier, obviously. But it, they help a lot with control. If you're someone who only hits your three wood off the deck, highly suggest playing a three wood under 43 inches. Uh, and yes, I build golf clubs for people. We don't need to get into that. Um... Which is, compare, this is, okay, so there may be a couple of these questions, uh, I don't, uh, wow, I'm firing through a lot of this stuff, I've got to tell you, we're almost at 30 minutes already, look at that. Uh, when it comes to comparison questions, my answer is always going to be get fit, so uh, I'll skip over a couple of those as well. Um, you know, I shouldn't, you know, again, this is, I, I unedited this, remember, I'm, I'm the host, I'm the executive producer, I am the sound editor, the sound mixer, I am the sound effects, I am the intro song, um, so yeah, that's why it's me talking in the microphone, and uh, this is kind of what it sounds like. But that's what makes it fun. Um, and uh, yeah, so if, if I do happen to skip over a question, it's just because of uh, one of those kind of things going on. Uh, bottom board to ground measurement. This was a good one. Uh, what it is, and I've, again, I've done a video on this as well, so check that out. Uh, it's, uh, that's on the Golf to Rear X YouTube page. Um, channel, sorry, it's not a page, it's a channel. Um, but you can go on there, and what it explains is the fact that between different club heads, the bottom of the shaft touching the ground is a, is a different measurement. And that's important if you're swapping shafts from clubs to clubs. It applies to any golf club, wedges, irons, woods, hybrids, drivers, all that stuff. And uh, it's why you can take a 40, say a 45 inch shaft and a Callaway driver, put in a tailor-made uh, driving, but it's only 44 inches. What happened? I didn't lose any length while doing this. And it's like, no, it's because the bottom board of ground measurement is the important one. And um, that's why it's important to know those uh, that information. Uh, low launch wedge shafts. There's a lot out there. Most wedge shafts are designed to launch low and spin more. Uh, my go-to, S400. There's the KBS High Rev. There are I know Acura does uh, some graphite stuff. Fuji does some stuff as well. You can you can basically turn any of their iron shafts into wedge stuff. Uh, I mean I've got their 115. Pro true spec irons uh, shafts, and they like I use it a pitching wedge. It's not really a wedge. I mean, technically it's in a wedge, uh, and that thing flights the ball like crazy. So I can't imagine what it would be if you use the heavier one in um, 
in like a, a sand wedge. But again, it all comes down to fitting and finding out what works exactly for you. Uh, oh, this is a technical question. I really like this one. Uh, how does lie angle affect swing weight? For those who say that it doesn't, it does. When you go upright, you will uh, start to decrease swing weight. And when you go flat, because you're making the 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 unit, the beam that is the golf club from the end to from end to end longer by going up or flatter, you will increase swing weight. Is it a noticeable difference? Not really. Uh, does it happen? Yes. You need a super uh, calibrated digital swing weight scale to see it. Yes. But it does happen. Uh, and after about two and a half, three degrees is when you're going to start to notice it on like a traditional scale. But it, it does exist. So if, from a technical standpoint, absolutely 100%. Lyangle affects swing weight. Thoughts on the J33B blades from Bridgestone? Uh, love them. I had a set uh, a long time ago. And I again, another just like the TaylorMade stuff before, I wish I didn't sell them. This is why I hold on to stuff. This is why I have a rack full of golf clubs because they are so good. They were they had a thick, thick hosel on them. They had a long hosel, uh, really small blade length, but like a slightly wider sole. Like they weren't like butter knife thin on the sole. They looked thin from the top. But uh, and again, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say here and say they were easy to hit because that's stupid. They weren't. They were blades, but uh, they did offer just everything that you wanted out of a blade, and they looked spectacular. Um, Good. This is a comparison question, but it's a looks thing. What's the difference between the 785 Strixon and the Z745, which is the original like Z series from them? And the Z45 is considered a call classic by a lot of golfers uh, because of its very aggressive V-sole. Also, very squared off look. That's what you're going to notice with the older stuff versus the new stuff. And I think they've gone back to it. Uh, we started to see some stuff leak out. And uh, they did it with the... Uh, 85 as well because there's 65 and 85 went back to more of that square look because the idea is I think the 745 was so popular that they're trying to get those golfers who are wearing those sets out back into Strixon irons because they've got the V-sole, they've got the look, they've got the laser milling, they've got all this stuff going on. It's a great looking set of golf clubs. And uh, yeah, that's really the big difference is the toe profile uh, and the weighting. Just I mean, there's a little bit of weight tweaking and muscle thickness and those kind of things. But uh, yeah, it comes down to looks for those two clubs. Ooh, um, manufacturers with matching tips, driver to fairy wood. We've got, uh, ping. We've got, uh, TaylorMade and I think Cobra, Cobra. So that's the, there's three right there. Uh, Titleist has a different one. Cali has a different one. Uh, so yeah, it was just about uh, swapping shafts and that's one of those things that I think is really interesting. And, uh, yeah. So if you are someone who likes to swap around a lot, um, I have like bags of like different shafts and different OEMs, uh, with tips from OEMs on them. And, uh, yeah, I write that thing on the top and I switch around. But, uh, if you're looking to go from a three to a five, um, through to a driver or something like that, then it's a good thing to, uh, check it out. Uh, this is about price. So I'm going to skip that over on the podcast here. Uh, it's about like, what, what is your cost to build a set of golf clubs for people? Um, I think it, it all depends on sometimes some of the experience on it, but like, like any skilled trade or any skilled craft, cause it's not really like a trade, I guess. Um, it, you should be, you should pay what someone's willing, like asking because like you're paying for someone's skill. There are other ways people can get ripped off. Of course, I'm not saying there aren't, but, uh, in reality, I think like, you know, you're paying for someone's time and it's valuable. You're paying, like you gotta, you know, if, yeah, you could buy glue and put a golf club together for $4, but you know to have the swing weight scale to check it and give you your specs after and do your lies and loss and turn the ferrule down properly and have all these small parts available and do the tip weighting and all that stuff that costs money. So, um, I don't know, anywhere from like 25 to 35 bucks usually for like a a single reshaft is generally like a, a, a going rate. Ooh, um, good grips versus cheap grips. It's all about specs. It's like anything else. You can buy cheap grips. They're probably going to feel pretty good out of the box, but how long they last and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's the big one. Um, because again, I use, I have some like really inexpensive grips that I use in my demo clubs or test stuff out. And then I put a real grip on it that I, I'm actually going to use as my set, uh, just because they come, they get expensive. So, um, Boyd blade and Ferroco without collars. I have addressed this. I've talked about it multiple times. You just install them like normal. Uh, and as long as the shaft and the head match up properly, it should be okay. They do this from a manufacturing side to make things easier. Unless it's a ping or it's a PXG, you'll be totally fine. The other two may require shims, but uh, anything else should not really have an issue. 
Uh, I'm gonna actually, you know what? We're getting getting a little long here, so I'm gonna skip a few of these questions that maybe repeat questions, um, and then get into our interview with Bill Schmeeds. Um, 95 mile an hour swing speed. Should I use the Sim or the Sim Max? At 95 miles an hour, you probably want a little bit of extra height and a little bit of extra spin. I would definitely suggest the Max. Uh, can certain grips help with grip pressure? 100%. Not just grip as far as texture, but also size. Size is extremely important, and I think that's one of those things you should definitely pay attention to when you are looking at uh, grips. And not just size, oh, look at what glove do you play, this kind of stuff. That's not really as useful as you might think it would be. What you want to look at is the the size and what it feels like in your hands. Because you've got a guy like Bryson using massive grips. Uh, I know people that have had bigger hands, they prefer smaller grips. So it all depends on what is going to feel the best in your hands, more so than just looking exactly at texture or size, because like just picking a size based on hand size, because it has to feel comfortable. If you're not comfortable, it's the only connection you have between you and your golf clubs. It's got to feel good. Um, different wedge shafts. I did touch on wedge shafts a little earlier, so I'm not going to go over this one again. Uh, but again, my go-to, one that I use, I really like, is just the S400. Um, classic blades with a little bit more bounce that are more forgiving. More forgiving classic blade, uh, Oxymoron. Um, but uh, some of the Titleist ones would be a good one, or the Hogan Bounce Soles, uh, if you're going like real classic. Uh, let's see. I think, that, I think, you know what? We're getting real close to the end of these questions here. Um, How's my golf game? It sucks right now. Uh, that was fun. So yeah, I uh, really appreciate all the people that reached out. Remember, follow along uh, RDS Brath on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow the show at OnSpecWRX as well. Now, before we get to our interview with uh, with Bill from Impact from the Impact Press, uh, the one thing I do want to mention as well and highly recommend because uh, I was a customer of theirs before they became a sponsor of the show and worked with us at Golf WRX, and that is Golf Avenue. Now, as a listener of this show and someone who pays attention to Golf WRX as well, you can go to golfwrx.com slash golfavenue, and if you are trading in golf clubs or you are buying golf clubs from them, they are one of the largest online retailers of used golf clubs uh, in the world, I think. Yeah, pretty sure. We're one of the biggest ones. Uh, I know that I use them a lot. Uh, they ship out of Canada, but they ship worldwide. And uh, they, I mean, shipping's always been fast for me. I've never had an issue. I love digging for old clubs, especially the old fairy woods and wedges. For me, are kind of like the little treasure hunts that I like to do. But they don't just have old stuff. They have stuff that's a couple years old. It's in great shape. Uh, and you always get pictures of what you're buying as well. That's the one thing that I love about what they do. You're not getting a representational picture. You're getting the picture of the clubs you're going to buy which is something that I used a lot earlier this year. Again, uh, when I bought a 7-wood, I was looking for a 915 title of 7-wood, went through like a bunch of different options. I didn't care about shaft flex, and that's a kind of a fun little trick if you're out there looking for used clubs and you've already got shafts for them or you've got a shaft that you're going to put into it. Don't necessarily worry about shaft flex because you might find some deals or something that, you know, might be in better condition. Uh, you know, shopping, say like a senior flex or an extra stiff flex, even though it might not fit you, you're still going to get a club head that you can work with. And that's my little trick when you're used club shopping today. And remember, uh, if you are going to trade some clubs in or you're looking for used clubs, check out golfavenue.ca or remember, you can go through our link and that is golfdirects.com slash golfavenue to find out the, all the details of how their program works. Okay, so as I teased off the top, and as I have mentioned numerous times on the show today, I have an interview with Bill Schmitz. He is a PGA professional and inventor of the Impact Press. The reason I wanted to have him on is because I think he has created a very cool training aid. It's not something that I have on the show very often at all. As you know, if you've listened to the show before, we basically talk about what I talked about in the first 40 minutes of this already, and that is club building, club fitting, talking about comparing stuff, getting deep into the tech, all these things. But I wanted to have Bill on because, first of all, he is a PGA professional. He uses TrackMan during all of his lessons, so it's one of the things that we talked about. And, you know, inventing stuff and being creative. And I think that's one of the things that's also very cool and how you can help your players perform better. One of the things that we see in fittings all the time is you'll hear it. And this is one of those good fitters versus bad fitters things. They'll tell you, you know, 
you could see a lot of improvement if you did this. That's a fitter thing because they see numbers and you know, you can help by creating better dynamic loft or whatever it happens to be. There's all kinds of different numbers. I don't want to get too much into that kind of thing. But we talk about that because when you create what we talk about, especially with Bill, is compression. And that's what the Impact Press helps people do is they helps create better launch conditions, especially with your irons and wedges to get more distance and also hit it more solidly. Because when you are playing golf, we all want to play better have it be because of getting better fitting golf clubs or because we are working on our golf swing in combination with better clubs. They don't work without the other. You can have great, great brand new golf clubs and they're going to be fit for your golf swing, but your, your ceiling is still only as good as your golf swing. I'm going to be completely upfront with that. But when you have golf clubs that are more fit for you and you have a swing that you're working on, you're improving and you're improving conditions and you're you're working on your short game and you're working on your ball striking, then of course you're going to play better golf. And that's what we talk about. And I hope you enjoy the interview today. So without further ado, I will turn it over to my interview with PGA professional, Bill Schmieds. So I'd like to welcome to OnSpec, Bill Schmieds, PGA professional, as well as the inventor of the Impact Press. Bill, welcome to OnSpec. Ryan, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, haven't really talked a lot about training aids on the show, but I wanted to have you on because, you know, the, the teaching and golf industry is very busy right now. And I know you, we talked just kind of before we started recording how busy you are right now, uh, as far as, you know, your teaching lessons, as well as in your training aid business. Um, tell me about how you came to create the impact press and, and what was the, the ethos for creating it? Yeah, sure thing. So as you mentioned, I'm a golf instructor by trade. So the Impact Press came about during a lesson one day about almost two and a half years ago at this point. But uh, I was trying to get the student in front of me to react or move in a way that would help them improve how they delivered the club into the golf ball. So uh, the facility I was at at the time, we had a club repair room in the teaching facility right where I was. So I went into the club repair room took some demo equipment, did some bending. I put some tape in certain areas um, as now what we call indicators on the impact press. Um, so we put those on the golf club on the head. And I asked the golfer, once I gave it back to him, to set up to the club a certain way and then react to the, uh, the tape that I had put on the, the club head um, from address to impact. And uh, that's where it originally started. And then, as I mentioned about, uh, you know, two and a half to three years later, after kind of going through and having a, a number of different prototypes, we eventually had the, the finished product and we uh, debuted at the PGA show this year in January. And uh, it's been uh, it's been a hit so far. We've done really well. We've won some awards. Um, we've sold out. We're actually we just got our uh, next batch of inventory in. So uh, we've got all our pre-orders going out after being sold out. And we're in a number of online retailers as well. So it's I couldn't have uh, couldn't have wished for anything better right now. But it's definitely taken up uh, a lot of time between the training aid business and my golf instruction business. So uh, it's it's poorly off as a lot of us are right now during the times of COVID. Um, we, uh, we are seeing a ton of golfers still want to uh, not only improve their game, but also have some, uh, some tools that they can use when they're not at the facility to help them uh, improve their, their overall golf game. Yeah, it's, it's funny because um, like I've, I've been getting a lot of questions recently um, from friends that I, I would call like generally occasional golfers and people that I didn't even really realize were golfers at all or had clubs. And they're asking about um, like, oh, where's a driving range near me? Or, uh, you know, what should I do for like upgrading my irons? Where should I look? And, and I have a bunch of different places that I recommend as far as online buying used as, as well as like trying to refer to fitters as much as possible, depending on what people are looking for and their budget and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, fitting and teaching does relate to each other. And I've had this conversation uh, with other instructors in the past because in reality, there is a, everyone's going to deliver the golf club differently, but there are ideal ways to deliver the golf club both with an iron, which is what your, your product impact press focuses on. And same with the driver, right? A lot of people right now are talking about like hitting up on with the driver and stuff like that. And it's, it's hard to you know ingrain those feels 
people don't see, but I always like to do, I always like to tell people that I'm doing air quotes when I'm doing, when I say things like that. Um, but it's the idea of, you know, for you, what is the feel that it is trying to ingrain to help golfers hit their irons better? Yeah, absolutely. So we know factually that when a golfer is hitting an iron and the ball is on the ground, that the iron has to work some version of down into the ball so the ball can be compressed. So the lowest point of the swing arc will be forward of the golf ball. So golf ball first, ground second, um, which produces an angle of attack that is more downward. So our device forces a golfer to move their body, their hands and their arms in a way that produces more forward shaft lean, uh, more we'll say of a linear followed by a rotational transition uh, as they're getting closer to the strike. It changes the, uh, the lead wrist to forearm conditions so that when we do get into impact, we can have a uh, flat to slightly bowed lead wrist. So it does a lot of things that uh, the best golfers in the world are going to be doing. And the design pretty much forces the golfer to react in a way to do that. So a lot of training aids on the market just try and fix the actual position. So my training aid is for impact. They would just focus on something to help with the impact position. But as a golf instructor, we know typically there's things that are happening prior to impact that are influencing the actual impact position. So my training aid um, forces the golfer to do some things prior to impact in order to actually improve that position so that they can improve their overall ball striking, dispersion, distance, all that uh, all the things that golfers are looking to do when they, they strike a golf ball. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think that's what makes it so interesting. And I think what makes it, uh, Oh God, this is a bad pun. I didn't even mean to say it's impactful, uh, for a player <laughs> that was not intentional. Come like, I, I love swear. it. Um, but it's the idea of being able to create certain conditions. And it's very similar to fitting when, when we talk about fitting here on the show, um, is that, you know, we know based on physics, that there are ideal launch conditions. Again, I'm talking to drivers or with irons, you know, I, I don't want to say hitting down, but being able to create uh, compression, which is like almost, uh, it's a way to measure on TrackMan or like some type of other launch monitor is, is like the, the ability to, you know, transfer energy and hit a good shot, essentially uh, a really simplistic form. Uh, because again, a lot of times what, what I see in fittings and maybe you see this as well as golfers try and elevate the golf ball by trying to hit up on it or trying to lift up on it. And this, this can relate to um, a whole large group of handicap ranges. And, and again, as people get better, sometimes they just happen to, um, you know, carry on these characteristics in their golf swing, even though they are improving, but they go to a fitting and they can't create spin on their iron shots. And they wonder why they, they're, they're, they hit these really low iron shots that don't spin. They hit the front of the green or even before the front of the green. And the next thing you know, they're chipping from the back of the green on almost every single shot uh, at once they're around it. Um, now for yourself, what is the biggest um, misconception that people have as far as, you know, creating impact dynamic, proper impact dynamics to see a ball flight that they're hopefully looking for? Yeah, so I would, I would start off and I would agree with you. I think the reason that a lot of golfers uh, struggle with how they strike the golf ball uh, is just there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of things out there they just don't quite understand. So when the golf ball is sitting on the ground, I think it's only human nature to try and actually help the golf ball up, especially if they want to you know, hit it a certain distance when there's a pin tucked or they have to get the ball over something. So a lot of golfers don't quite understand what needs to get or go into hitting a solid, uh, you know, iron shot that the golf ball is, is actually going to be struck or compressed uh, efficiently so that the ball actually has enough spin to get up at the appropriate distance. Um, so one of the first things that I do with a lot of my golfers, especially beginner golfers, is we chat about like, you know, I call it the whys. what needs to happen in order for you to not only strike the golf ball solidly, but also have it go, um, you know, the, the appropriate distance at the appropriate launch. And I think so many golfers just don't quite grasp what actually really needs to happen. Um, so my training aid kind of forces golfers based on its design to move in an improved fashion so that they can actually compress the golf ball, have more forward shaffling, get the body to have, uh, you know, uh, an improved pivot so they can create more speed and have more consistency. 
And that relates to um, when we say speed, it's, we're not talking all the time like tour level players. And we, and I say this again from a fitting perspective that the, the ideal launch condition is going to, is going to vary depending on a player's ability to deliver the golf club, their ability to create the amount of speed that they do. I mean, I've seen 14 year old kids generate hundred miles an hour with their six iron. And it's, I just like, okay, I don't have to hardly do that with my driver, but um, for yourself, it is a transferable uh, idea from a better player all the way to someone who is starting out or may not have the club head speed because it's going to allow them to hit shots that can hopefully fly higher, create a little bit more spin and extra carry, which I think a lot of people struggle with with their irons, especially because they don't hit the ball solidly. They don't create a compression and then they hit this shot that generally for a right-handed golfer goes pretty high, uh, doesn't even spin that much and just kind of falls to the right. Absolutely, 100%. And I've used this with uh, anybody from the touring professionals that I work with to some of the uh, the average to beginner golfers. And uh, it's pretty neat how they all can react in a way that helps them improve how they're dynamically either moving or delivering the club into the golf ball to be able to kind of see some of those things you just mentioned. Yeah, and it's it's a uh, what I think is really cool is the fact that it is like it is a full swing um, tool, right? It's not just okay, well you know, well, let's give you a really small iron and just have you hit it, right? Like I've seen A's like that before. And I've seen other things where, you know, there, there comes a time where you can eventually cheat the system to, you know, hit a shot with it. Whereas in reality, the goal is not to cheat the system. The goal is to work constantly towards progression. And uh, again, we see this with, I think the funny thing is when, especially golf direction, we get on the range pictures of players. A lot of them have training aids. Like a ton of PGA Tour players have training aids because it's designed to ingrain a feel. What would you say the biggest feel takeaway is from the impact press? Yeah. So what we, uh, what we hear often is um, how almost uh, we'll say effortlessly uh, the movement starts to feel after a number of swings because their body hands and arms start to move in an improved fashion, which then gets the golf club to work a lot more efficiently through the hitting area. So that's one of the biggest things after a number of swings is, wow, I almost didn't even feel like I, I hit the golf ball there. Cause it's, you know, the, the movement just becomes a lot uh, easier for them. And then the more that they use it, uh, you know, they're, they're able to transfer that into their own game. So we have, um, we've got a, a training protocol on our website on how to actually use the impact press in a way where you can not only improve the movement with the training aid, but also improve the movement once you transfer to your own golf club. So I would say that's probably one of the, the things that we immediately hear is how uh, effort effortlessly it starts to feel after a number of swings. Cause that's just, you know, once you start improving your mechanics and we start, you know, finding the center of the club face more often, that's how it should start to feel. Yeah. And I think, um, and I've had, uh, I've, I've been talking about wedges recently over the last couple shows. And I think, uh, this is a perfect training aid to help people learn to hit those lower spinning aggressively or lower flying aggressively spinning shots by creating proper dynamics. Because again, as I talked about earlier, someone sweeps a lot of times with their irons or their longer clubs, and it's actually being a hindrance to try and actually get the golf ball in the air. But as you move towards your wedges, being able to hit those shots where you create more friction, you create greater friction, your hands are ahead at impact, and you're creating less dynamic loft uh, at impact as well. That's how tour players hit those, those low-flying wedge shots. Have you seen players not just see improvements with their irons, but also have that skill transfer down into their wedges as well, where they're like, man, I never thought I could spin a wedge like that. Yeah, 100%. And uh, one of the, the first parts of our training protocol is actually, uh, we call it a shaft parallel to club head down exercise, which is uh, something that, uh, you know, a lot of really good wedge players might do from about 20 to 30 yards uh, to try and kind of see what you had just mentioned. So we, uh, we get that a lot. And, and uh, when I was originally testing this, I use TrackMan for every single one of my lessons I have since, uh, you know, the original TrackMan came out. Uh, long time ago at this point so we can actually see the data and see what's going on and we most certainly can see that the golfers are not only um, you know compressing the golf ball better but also improving launch characteristics spin and all the things needed to help them hit those wedge shots that you're talking about 
Yeah, and it's it's great that you mentioned like using a launch monitor, in your case TrackMan, because not only does and especially when it comes to lessons, I think it's um, I think one of the things that we see in fittings a lot of times is people. Uh, some fitters when they start out or depending on like what they're trying to do, either they'll display way too much data for the customer or the, the person in the fitting or they'll display. Uh, and what I have always found is that, you know, for a lot of uh, a lot of fitters, you know, on the screen, they'll hide data from the person getting fit because either someone's trying to, I always joke, they're video gameizing. It's not really a word, but uh, their, their numbers. So it's like, they're just trying to hit it as hard as possible. And they're not really looking at the dynamics when I, the goal is to just always have people be comfortable. Right. Um, what, uh, for yourself or for someone who is able to use a launch monitor, what would you say are some of the most important parameters for, uh, becoming an improved, uh, ball striker, which again, transfers down to your, to your short game as well. Yeah, sure. So just from the ball striking standpoint, uh, first thing uh, I'm always looking at is uh, smash factor, spin access, uh, angle of attack, and low point, right? Those are four pretty good um, data points that I'm always looking at just from the actual uh, ball striking standpoint. The other thing that I'll look at oftentimes is dynamic loft, just to kind of see exactly um, you know, if they're adding loft, taking off loft and, uh, you know, what they, uh, might have tendency wise. So that's just for the ball striking standpoint. And then following that, obviously the, uh, the really important key to help with, uh, your dispersion or just obviously hitting the golf ball a little bit more consistently and straighter is the relationship between the club face and the path. Um, so trying to get those two to, to interact, to be kind of closer to a two to one relationship, uh, or just get those numbers closer together. So the ball's not going to curve as much or, or crucial for golfers improving. I, I, I love that you mentioned face to path because, um, it's, it's something where, uh, you know, I'll see it on, you know, it's funny. You used to, you used to see a lot more, but you know, like on, when I was watching, like I'm on the golf Twitter, golf social media, and you see people try and zero out or they're, they're just, they're all they're trying to do is get like hit the zero zero mark and just see that perfectly straight shot, which is always fun. Again, it's kind of the, the video gameizing of, you know, playing golf or using a, a, a radar device or using a, a launch monitor. But in reality, you know, controlling face to path is all about, as I say, control. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, little in, uh, out to in or into out. I mean, you can, you can swing into out or sorry. Yeah. Out. <laughs> Let's try again. You can swing out to in and play a fade all the time. And if you are consistent with that, you're going to see consistent results or you can see someone like, you know, Kenny Perry, who is, you know, very much, um, someone who is like way far, like, uh, in, or yeah, into out. So across the line going like in the out direct to hit a draw, but his relationship is the same every single time. And is it perfect for hitting or attempting to hit a fade? I don't think Kenny Perry's hit a fade in the last 20 years, if not longer, <laughs> but I agree. to be able to control it is something I think golfers should really pay attention to is not trying to like get to zero, but have a consistency. Cause if you can play a consistent shot one way or the other, we hear this from pros all the time that, you know, I'm trying to eliminate one side of the golf course or trying to eliminate a certain miss um, for yourself and with the players that you work with from a teaching perspective and when they're working with this device, do you find that you're attempting to create one way or the other? Is it about working with the player? Because to me, I feel like it works with both, correct? Yeah, so I would say uh, it depends on the golfer that you're working with. So when I'm working with my high level players or tour players, we're certainly working with uh, their tendencies just to try and make sure that they can get the numbers to get a little bit closer so that the ball's not going to curve as much. So if somebody has a, a natural fade tendency, we don't want to take that away. We just want to kind of tighten up the dispersion, figure out what needs to be done in order for that fade to only be just a couple yards so that they know exactly where it's going to start, how much it's going to curve. Now, for the high handicap golfers that uh, you might work with, or I might work with at the club level, uh, oftentimes we're trying to potentially um, shift maybe the, the path or swing direction in the opposite direction because the average golfer is an open face over the top slicer. 
we need to make some changes in order to get that golf ball to cooperate so that it's playable. So oftentimes we're changing the face and we're probably also changing the swing direction more from the in to out opposed to the out to in. So it just kind of depends on the player in front of you, what their goals are, what their tendencies are. Um, but when we're just talking about face and path, I would say for almost 95% of golfers that uh, I work with that first come to my lesson tee, golfers don't even have a clue on why the ball does what it does. They don't understand what causes the ball to start in the direction and then why it curves. Like I can't tell you how many times uh, I ask golfers, do you have any idea why your ball might start left and then curve to the right? And they have, they have, they don't have a clue. They don't know that the face projects. They don't know that the path curves or the, um, the difference between the face and the path is going to give the ball its curvature. They just don't have a clue. So being able to understand how to control the club face and the path relationship is absolutely crucial to better golf. I, I think it's, it's really golf is so unique because if you put a racket, for example, and I, when I say racket sport, I could be, ping pong, tennis, uh, squat. I haven't played to watch, but I think it's the same. It basically, it, it, physics are exactly the same, uh, but I don't really under, know the shots you hit with that sport. But anyways, um, if you were to say, can you, make the, can you make the ball curve from left to right? A, a player with a racket will instinctively, you know, be able to generally do that pretty quickly. They'll see what's going on. And same thing, can you hit it one that like, you know, draws essentially for a right-handed player? And they'll be able to do it. But then you hand them a golf club and they're like, I don't know what's going on. It's like, it's, it is, it's essentially, it's, it's a, it's a longer handled paddle sport and it's about creating those dynamics. And, you know, just like if you're trying to say drive a tennis ball really close to the net and have it, you know, go as far as possible and, and hear that thwack off the racket or off the strings to be able to try and do that or with a, with an iron, they just, they, a lot of people sweep which is exactly what your product is trying to do. What you're training it is trying to prevent is, you know, trying to create powerful impact dynamics versus something that is going to uh, lose a lot of energy. Really. Um, do you find for yourself that players, again, I know you kind of mentioned off the top, but have you seen like, uh, like for talking numbers, how much of an improvement you've seen from someone who started with it to someone who's used it for a period of time? Have you, do you have an example of like some, some big changes? Yeah, honestly, and I, I hate to, I, don't, I just don't want to come off as like being the guy that who, he has this training aid and all of a sudden everybody touches it and it works out fantastic. But like normally within three to five swings, we immediately see a huge change in uh, angle of attack and low point. So the average golfer um, that we see on our lesson tee um, typically has a low point that is either at the ball or sometimes behind the ball. So that's your fat and thin shots. And because of that, the angle of attack is kind of, uh, we'll say either level to the ground or almost working slightly up into the ball, all things you don't want to do with an iron. Right. So, uh, typically after we give the golfer the impact press and we tell them kind of how to set up and how to use it, it's like three to five swings. And we start to see the, the numbers improve, uh, tremendously with just low point and angle of attack. So the low point starts to move a lot more forward of the golf ball. So golf ball first, ground second. The angle of attack starts to work a lot more downward. So they have a chance of kind of compressing the golf ball, not adding loft, maybe even taking off the little loft with speed. Um, to be able to spin the golf ball more. And typically that's just a, a number of swings. And then as they continue to use it down the road, what we tend to find is those numbers uh, will stay improved, but the face-to-path relationship starts to get a lot tighter because of how they're starting to move both the body, hands, and arms, obviously influencing the club. So um, they're starting to keep that golf ball a lot more in front of them. Uh, the majority of golfers, uh, especially the ones that I, I uh, stay in contact with, a lot of my students have the impact press, they're getting at least a club to two longer in their bag too, because of all those things that are happening. And that's, everybody's looking to obviously not only uh, straighten out their ball flight, but hit it further too. That's one of the, the main things that I hear uh, when new golfers come to my lesson tee, they, they want more distance, but they also want to be straighter, which is, you know, the million dollar question. <laughs> so uh, those are some things that we tend to hear. So um, it's, it's been, it's been amazing so far. Honestly, I, I, I came up with this just to, to help one gentleman and years down the road now and, and bringing this to market. I, uh, I couldn't have asked for uh, better feedback from, from my own players and the, the golfers that are purchasing it. Yeah. I, th I, I think that, you know, it doesn't take a lot of golf swings 
to see an improvement. We see it when you do fittings. And this is, again, this is why I want to have you on because it, there is a lot of understanding or there's a lot of uh, uh, similarities to working with a student over a long period of time and building a relationship with a fitter as well. Like the, the goal is not to have a quick fix. The goal is to create a long-term plan or uh, you know process for helping people get better and play better golf. Um, that's why I think the best fitters always build relationship with their clients when they have something that's going on with their golf club and they can come back and have that conversation because they understand, right? Someone emails you or reaches out and sends you a text or whatever. And they say, you know, this is what I'm finding that could be the issue. They can, you can almost, because you have that relationship with that player, help them without really even seeing it because you understand what's going on. Um, and it's the same thing too, right? Players are always going to revert back. I mean, that's why fitters and that's why, Teachers, that's why we have, we, our goal is to build long-term relationships with players because the end goal is again, end over end, year over year, round after round, learning to get better. And that's why I think it's important when you see yeah. players with, on the PGA Tour training age, go, why does he have a training in his bag? Because he's trying to ingrain that feel all the time because sometimes they forget no one's perfect. And that's why we are here to help more golfers. Bill, I really appreciate your time. Uh, talking about the Impact Press. I think it is something that people should really look out for. And where can people find you, both online, social media, where to find the Impact Press? Get it all out there. By all means, this is your opportunity to share with the world. Sure thing. Well, first off, Ryan, I appreciate you having me on the show. It was very nice of you. Um, golfers can find us on social uh, at Facebook and uh, Instagram at Impact Press Golf. You can purchase the Impact Press at impactpressgolf.com. And right now we're in a number of online retailers from Rock Bottom Golf. Uh, we're going into PGA Superstores next week, um, golftrainingaids.com, in the whole golf. We're on Amazon and we're getting in a number of other online retailers over the, the coming month or so, too. So we're going to be out there pretty much uh, anywhere most of your golfers are going to be looking for their uh, training aids or golf equipment. Mm -hmm.